Hello and welcome to another scintillating episode of Let Me Explain You a Thing. My name is Andrew, and this is the podcast where I talk extemporaneously on a subject I know a decent amount about. And today, I'll be talking about Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition. Perhaps a little uh, compare-contrast with 5th Edition, for those of you who may have gotten into D&D over the last, oh god, 10 years. Uh... (laughs) Um, Or if you're uh, one of the old guard who is stuck with 3.5 or, you know, moved on to Pathfinder or other systems um, because 4th edition, uh, you read some bad things about it on the internet, uh, I want to talk a little bit about it it and, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, pitch you on it. Um, I found a lot of people seem to have a a base level of opposition towards playing 4th edition, Um, and it's not always, like, a very well-articulated perspective. I think that's fine. Uh, I think, you know, you sometimes have gut feelings and opinions on something that can be difficult to uh, investigate and really explain, so that's all fine. Uh, no, no, you know, no offense meant, but I do think 4th edition has a lot to offer, even to, uh, players or DMs, uh, running 5th edition. Um, I think there are little, little elements of the rules you can kind of snap off and make into, uh, you know, rules modules, uh, that you use or just, uh, techniques for running a game a little bit smoother. Um, so, I, I don't want to go too negative on other editions. Um, and a little background with me, I started playing, uh, fourth edition in 07, 08. It was, like, pretty soon after it came out. This was my first D&D edition, so I do have the rose-tinted glasses just a little bit. Um, I know... You know, not everyone, not everyone will see it the same way. Um, and I do. Here's another significant thing with D and D. I do have a lot of the books for Fourth Edition as well. I've got. Um, I have. I bought or ended up with um, somehow maybe from people leaving their books and, you know, kind of leaving their books at my house and kind of like uh, losing interest in D and D. Um, I have a collection of, like, a handful of Player's Handbook 1 and 2, um, each, and I've got a Player's Handbook 3, the Monster Manual, um, I never, I never invested in a, in a Dungeon Master's Guide, but I did find a PDF and I printed the, the entire thing, like, way, way back in the day, so I have that, like, in a three-ring binder, um, so, you know, I have, like, you know, digital files, I have PDFs of, like, a bunch of old, uh, supplemental books, oh, I've got Manual of the Plains, I've got, like, a a supplement for, uh, Dragonborn characters, all kinds of stuff, and, you know, I, I say this not to, like, boast of my collection or anything, like, I know a lot of people who have played different systems at different times in their lives have, you know have a a hefty collection, especially if you're, uh, I don't want 
to say old, <laughs> but you know, if you if you've been playing for a long time and you've been you know moving through different editions, growing with the the changes to the game, then you probably have a, a collection of multiple editions. For me, I just you know like I've been like this since I was a kid. I I did not understand how like. Uh, computers or video game consoles worked at one time, and I was like, you know, my friend got a GameCube, and I was like, nah, man, N64 is where it's at. Like, I don't see myself ever moving on to GameCube. And, you know, time goes on, you get a GameCube, you get a Wii, you get a Switch, you know? You don't get a Wii U, I'll tell you. Um, anyway, so that kind of thing just happens. But for me, I have this kind of time capsule of fourth edition books, no, I've played a couple of 3.5 games and 5th uh, edition games both. I just never have really invested money in the books. Uh, probably doesn't help that I think I think all of the 5th edition games I've played in have been online, have been through Roll20, or a, you know, what we might call a virtual tabletop. Um, and so, like, those those have character sheets that, with a pre-programmed, um, uh, is it SRD, SRT, SRC, one of those, um, where, like, all the powers are kind of in there, you, you put it on your sheet when you level up, and, or when you create the character, and you just kind of, like, click the title of the spell, and it rolls the appropriate you know, dice and whatever, and, like, gives you a result. I don't love that. And, you know, I, I have a lot of D&D &D opinions, so, you know, you can agree or not, it's fine. Um, but I do feel really strongly that a virtual tabletop is not great. And I know, I know, like, everyone has, you know, friends from college or, like, you know, friends who, who from, you know, their hometown and, you know, people, people move, you know, life circumstances change, uh, you want to keep playing with the same friends, and everyone knows, I think, on some level that ideally we'd all be, like, sitting around the same table together, um, but, you know, maybe that's just the only way you can pull a group together, or maybe you don't have any friends that play D&D, &D, and to be able to play a game at all, you kind of need to, to party up with randos that you meet online, and, you know, whether or not you're in the same, same area, same city, like, just having access to one another through the virtual tabletop is, is kind of, kind of nice. Um, so, anyway, that's, that's not my preference, but, I guess that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about 4th edition. So, D&D 4th edition uh, came out, I want to say, 07, early 07, and the thrust of the edition, because D&D, obviously this is 4th, D&D had uh, its first edition in, like, the late 70s, that stood for a while. They had, like, some minor revisions. They came out with Advanced D&D in, like, the late 80s or something, and that was kind of the edition that people played through most of the 90s, like, a lot of the classic campaign settings, um, like, you know, uh, Planescape, uh, which takes place on, um, 
the city of portals, uh, the names, names escape. I ran a campaign there once, um, names escaping me. Sigil. Yeah. City of doors. Uh, yeah. So like Planescape and Spelljammer and, oh God, uh, Dark Sun. A lot of the classic settings originated in AD&D. You have like Forgotten Realms goes all the way back to the beginning, basically. Um, in fact, Forgotten Realms kind of predates D&D <laughs> a little bit. Like, it was developed by a guy who... Or not, maybe not predates, but it was developed externally and pitched to Gary Gygax um, and the, the team, you know, developing D&D at the time. And... Uh, yeah, so they, they kind of... Um, you know, picked it up as a setting. Uh, before that, there was, like, Greyhawk, um, you know, more, more traditional, you know, medieval Western fantasy, uh, high fantasy kind of settings. Anyway, I guess so is Forgotten Realms. Anyway, anyway, Andrew. Okay, so, um... So yeah, and then like third edition launches in like the late 90s. So you have this this kind of cadence. You know, like if you play Pokemon, you're used to like every four or five years a new new generation dropping. It's kind of been the way of things for the last 25 years. Yeah, you know, like every four years or so. Like when did Sword and Shield come out? 2018, 19, something like that. Anyway, so yeah, uh, consoles kind of work the same way. Like, a lot of things in the gaming world are on this this schedule, this cadence of new release. Um, so anyway, 3rd edition comes out uh, late 90s. I, I want to say 2003-ish, you have 3.5. 3.5 has so many diehards that when 4th edition came out, they actually branched off um, uh, a different... Uh, game studio apart from Wizards of the Coast, completely disconnected. Uh, Paizo actually created basically Dungeons and Dragons 3.5, uh, and they sort of, as, as I understand it, cleaned some things up, but it's basically 3.5 with like the serial numbers filed off. Um, and you know, they you know, people just didn't want to move on to four. Uh, okay, so now we get to... Do I have that wrong? Did three come out in, like, 2003 and then 3.5 in, like, 2005-ish? I don't know. Anyway, um... 3.5, I've played it uh, a handful of times. Never by my choice. Um, always as a player. So I don't really understand... I don't really, like, I don't have a personal understanding of running the game in 3.5, but it's a very, there's a lot of rules. <laughs> some people really like that. Like, I, I have seen some of my dad's old, uh, books for, like, he, he played in some role-playing games, uh, in, like, uh, 
like Chainmail, I want to say, is one of them. One of those old, old, like, war game systems uh, from, like, the 60s and 70s. Um, Chivalry uh, is another. So, like, he, he had some of these books that he and his, like, ROTC buddies played in, <laughs> in college. And I don't know how deep into it he ever got, like, but, you know, I mean, this was the landscape then. That's what they had. So I don't know if he was really invested in the, you know, here are all the tables for fishing and, like, what you can possibly fish and how you determine that and what the weather conditions are like and the location geographically and all that stuff. Like, this shit goes deep. Um, for, for systems like chivalry. Uh, and they, those, you know, are based off of, in turn, a much older tradition going back to, like, uh, you know, the fucking, like, 1870s. Like, you have, uh, Prussians, uh, Prussian officers in the army, like, uh, playing these, these games of war kind of to, like, ostensibly, uh, to, like, sharpen their skills or whatever, um, and, you know, I kind of see the utility, uh, of war games if you're, you know, uh, at war, <laughs> or might be, um, you know, it's, it's useful to be able to, like, practice some, some tactics and stuff, it all is based on a lot of assumptions, right, that you'll be able to, you know, communicate your commands effectively and whatnot, but, Anyway, I'm getting far afield. So, you know, like, by into the 1900s, it kind of became more of, like, a parlor thing than, like, uh, you know, guys in, in, uh, uh, in, like, tents on the, the front, like, gaming out their next moves. It became more of, like, a, a leisure activity, um... And then, at some point, you have, like, sort of a transition from you controlling an army to you controlling a character, um, and not only you controlling a character alongside other people, but, or along with other people, like, like, basically, like, partying you up. Um, and a lot of early D&D, so I understand, is, is, like, just, you know, dungeon crawls and, like, hack and slash through the monsters, get treasure, you know, yeah, kill stuff. Like, I think D&D and the audience for D&D has really changed in the last, like, last, you know, probably 10, 10 to 15 years, 10-ish years, maybe. I think a big part of it is 5th edition is very streamlined, um, and there's a lot more onus this has been building over time, but there's so much more onus on role-playing, and I think that attracts, you know, let's say some different personality types than, than the kind of person who, you know, wants to, uh, just, like, basically, you know, uh, kill monsters and rob a tomb, you know, um, even to blow off steam. Uh, so, so yeah, like, 4th edition, 
Okay, back to 3.5. I'm a mess, I'm sorry. Um, this is how my brain works. Uh, back to 3.5. So, it, it was very complicated. Um, it gave some character builds, like, next to nothing to really do, and some character builds, uh, like, way too much. You have this, um, this, uh, effect people started noticing called the, uh, the linear fighter or linear barbarian, uh, exponential wizard, which is that, like, maybe the, the wizard character as they leveled up would take a little bit longer to really get cooking, but at higher levels could basically do anything. Like, you have access to wish, you can fly, you can teleport, um, just so many reality-bending things. You can counter spells. So many reality-bending things that just allow you to... Sorry, I yawned. Um, allow you to... I just, you know, reshape the game in your... to your vision and the, the field to your vision. Whereas you got, like, a fighter or a barbarian who, yeah, they're gonna, like, they progress and get better at the same rate the entire time. Barbarian is going to end up being a much humbler character than the wizard at a higher level, even if they're able to, like, dish out a, a ton of damage and whatnot. Like, that's kind of all they get to do. And, like, I played a 3.5 game where I had, like, I was a fighter. I'd never played a fighter before uh, in any system. And I had a, like, a axe and shield combo or something. I was, like, a half-orc. And, like, all I could really do... And I took skills in, like, shield attacks. And probably some people would jump on here and tell me that I was doing it wrong. But I... Basically, all I could do is, like, hit stuff with my axe or hit stuff with my shield. I had, like, two moves. It sucked. It was not fun. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I... It was just not a lot not a lot I was able to do outside of, like, in combat. And you kind of think, a fighter? Hmm. They're probably good at combat. That's probably their, their you know, bailiwick. Nope, not really. Um, yeah, and sure enough, as, as time went on, the, the wizards, who were initially, like, really squishy and kind of embarrassing, um, yeah, were able to do stuff that was much more interesting. They had choices that were interesting, and powers to choose from. And they were able to, to take much better advantage of <coughs> of conditions in combat than I was as a fighter, which felt weird and bad. Just not good. 
Um, and it's not just that they were like, oh, I'm going to create a, you know, a cube of, like, flying daggers here or whatever. Or I'm going to, like, teleport my ally closer to the enemy or whatever. Like, they have magic missile. Like, they can strike at range. Um, so, it was just so many different different capabilities that are not really available to you. Unless you start training with other weapons, I guess. But even then, like, the weapons are... Like, even in 4th, there's kind of this problem where the weapons have only so many different permutations of qualities or hit dice that you can roll. Um, and it's kind of like you choose one at the start of the game and that's kind of your thing. Like, unless you end up finding something better, I suppose, but some enchanted weapon. I don't know. That's a little dry. Um, been talking too emphatically. But yeah, so 4th edition, uh, I'll just cut straight to it. 3.5 had some very complex rules um, and left some other character types kind of high and dry. 4th edition comes out in this environment where World of Warcraft is kind of the new hotness in gaming. Funny just to think of World of Warcraft ever as the new hotness, but yeah, and like, the way World of Warcraft works, you have, and I've never played, so I'm, I'm, this is kind of based on approximate knowledge and hearsay, but you're, you're a character, you choose a, a race and a class, kind of typical, typical setup, but everybody has an array of powers that they can use, and they all have different, like, cooldowns, and some of them, like, some of these powers are, uh, you know, trigger based on other conditions and stuff like that. Um, but the idea is you have, like, basic attacks that uh, don't require a lot of, have, have, like, a pretty short cooldown relatively and don't require a lot of uh, effort or mana or whatever, if any, maybe. Um, but they also don't do as much, as much damage, or they're maybe not as interesting, or, you know, whatever. And then you have, like, progressively stronger attacks with longer cooldowns, uh, higher cost, so forth. Um, so, like, maybe you hack and slash for a while with your basic attacks, and then you start, you know, once you've filled up a bar or something, you can start um, unleashing, like, ultimate attacks or something like that. Um, what's kind of interesting is, like, in Magic as well, you sort of see this with Planeswalkers. Uh, and Planeswalkers were also introduced to Magic as, like, Planeswalker cards. They hadn't been cards for, for over ten years. But they were introduced as cards around the same time that 4th edition came out. Um, and, you know, Planeswalkers usually have, like, a plus one ability, uh, like a, you know, minus two or three that you can pop off right away if you wanted. 
and an ultimate that's like maybe minus seven or eight or something that you have to build up to um, by, by plussing numerous times. So it's kind of the same concept, honestly, as like the World of Warcraft hero. I'd never made that connection before. That's interesting. And, you know, funny enough, Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons, both produced by, at this time, uh, Wizards of the Coast. See, I think that was the other thing. So Wizards of the Coast took over D&D in like the mid-90s. And uh, Wizards bought TSR, um, which was the, the studio that had produced D&D uh, from, you know, its earliest days to, uh, you know, for about 20 years or so. Um, and I think the first edition Wizards was really a part of was third. Uh, fourth edition, of course... You know, who knows? Maybe they bought they bought D and D, and like third edition was you know uh, was kind of like on the you know on the roster uh, coming up soon, and they just like sort of continued it, made some tweaks, published it, um, or maybe they had you know been able to like over the ten years of owning the company of owning D and D as a brand. Um, had been able to, you know, make the larger structural changes that they wanted to, um, and then you have, you know, fourth, yeah. fourth edition is, like, their big contribution now, and this is the first, like, real Wizards of the Coast edition. That's speculation, and I'm sure I could find the truth of that someplace, but that's, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and even if that's not verifiable, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, that was on some level the case. Okay, so... edition, uh, kind of bases its, uh, a strong element of its design on World of Warcraft, and maybe some of its, like, character designs, too, um, not just with the, the races and classes available to you at level one in the first player hand, handbook, um, but also possibly in, in some of the illustrations, like, you get a lot of Wayne Reynolds, you know, like, the, the kind of stuff that you can picture it, like, huge shoulder pads, um, you know, like, really complex, uh, like, barbarian armor with, like, a lot of, like, uh, spikes and, like, woven bands and stuff like that. Not a lot of, like, really smooth textures. Like, kind of a lot going on. Um, a little over the top. So...
it was it was controversial because it gave every class powers basically rather than you know do you have spells no then you're just limited to attacks and various kinds of actions um fourth edition gave every class powers so you had at will attacks or power they were always attacks um and they also kind of codified all the classes into different power sources. So you have martial classes, which were like fighter, rogue, uh, warlord. Uh, you had divine classes, the cleric, the paladin. Um, more would be introduced later. Uh, the arcane, which were like wizards and sorcerers. Um, and Primal, which was new, and that was like uh, druids and shamans and barbarians were moved from, uh, like, kind of recontextualized or reimagined as, you know, having a primal energy source, and they would go into rages based off of certain animals. Um, and then you had... Oh, yeah, Rangers were Marshall. That was the other. Um, and then you get into Psionic in, like, Player's Handbook 3. That's down the line, though. So, anyway, like... The... Player's Handbook 1 uh, was a little controversial because it had, you know, those four Marshall classes I mentioned. Um, introducing, I believe, introducing Warlord... Which, basically, you kind of try to be the tactical lead on the, the combat, and you... Like, the at-will power for Warlord isn't you make an attack, it's have your have an ally make another attack. Which can be really good. Like, if you have a, a big damage dealer, or if you have people who are strategically placed, then yeah, you can say, hey, like... Hey John, like hit that hit that guy next to you. Uh, roll another attack, um, which is neat. Um, it's it's not. It wasn't the most fun to play as a teenager. It's like no, I want to be the one doing cool stuff. But it's it's kind of a neat option to have. I don't know. Um, anyway, so. had a power source that had that was mostly flavorful I don't think it had any like game function but it was a way of kind of organizing and codifying these diverse classes into 
four, basically five, and every power source got five, four, sorry, every power source got four different types of classes. Um, there was the leader, uh, which, you know, kind of, again, sort of like the warlord, the warlord's a leader class, uh, you know, offers support to the party, like a bard kind of does this, like giving team buffs, um, clerics are, are leaders by popping heals, uh, you have strikers, which are kind of the glass cannons, like they can get in, do a lot of damage, like warlocks, I'm not sure if warlock was a new class for 4th edition, might have been. Um, but that was an arcane striker. Rogues are strikers. Um, you know, uh, you have, uh, so, so strikers, they need some support, but they can get in, do a lot of damage, get out. They usually have some good maneuverability, good speed, um, And, uh, you know, good good damage output, but can't really take a lot of hits. kind of are there to tank, to, to, you know, take hits, to kind of, uh, distract enemies. Um, they have pretty good damage output, but not the highest. Um, and then you have, no, oh, did I cover all of them? Striker, controllers was the last. Like, a wizard is a controller. Um, they're, they, they, like, as the name might imply, they kind of control the battlefield. Uh, they can kind of, like, lead people places by targeting, targeting them with ranged attacks, uh, lead enemies places, and so forth. Um, so, you know, and yeah, you have the, the types of power. So at-wills can be done at, can done, be done freely for, uh, a standard action, um, and there's no recharge on them, you can always do an at-will, and they're usually, like, yeah, pretty basic attacks, um, and then you have encounter powers, which can only be done once in an encounter, and daily powers, which are once in, per long rest, so kind of once a day, um, encounter and daily, like, they can kind of sync up to basically mean the same thing if you're only doing one encounter, you know, per long rest, but generally long rest will be a little bit, you know, there might be one encounter per session, but that doesn't line up to per day um, in-game necessarily. 
but that's, you know, something to consider. Usually you want to save those, of course. Um, sometimes they, under certain conditions, they can recharge, and often they do half damage if they miss. So they're not expended um, for no benefit if you miss with them. Um, so that's the, the kind of cooldown system built into every class. That got kind of controversial. Um, I think it was a great addition. I think it was really nice to, like, you know, like, oh, if you, if you mostly play it, like, uh, like, you know, fighters or barbarians or something, and then you want to try, like, playing a wizard in 3.5, that was, that was tough. That was a, even a, any spellcasting class, like a cleric, that was tough to get over that hurdle. Um, there was a lot you needed to learn about how spells worked. I'm sure some people enjoyed having to learn that, but it's not, not very player-friendly. So, okay, next up you've got, um, So that, you know, that was kind of the major lone takeaway from World of Warcraft, so people say. I think it was good for the game. The next thing is, you might, you might, just reading between the lines, kind of understand that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of emphasis on strategic combat going on here. And that was not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, you know, you, you had a lot of powers, uh, so, you have your standard array of actions, like you could bull rush, you could, which kind of pushes, you move your maximum movement, kind of push your enemy a little bit. Um, there were mechanics for, like, marking an enemy, like you kind of, like, call somebody out and say, like, hey, you, and, like, sometimes they get a penalty for attacking other people. basic actions as far as moving and shifting and, like, manipulating the other people and, you know, rules for moving over difficult terrain and different terrain types, rules for, like, jumping and swimming and flying and all that. Um, and then you also have, like, all the ways that powers and, like, people add auras, like, sometimes, you know, you fight, like, a, a lava giant or something, they might have, like, a, a hot aura that, like, causes damage, or, um, you know, there's all the different status effects, there's different defenses, too, like, you're not just trying to hit someone against their AC, their armor class, you're also looking at, um, their other defenses, which are kind of pulled from their ability scores, so, like, you have Fortitude, which is based on uh, strength and constitution, uh, reflexes, which is dexterity and intelligence, and will, which is wisdom and charisma. 
Um, so, like, you could have a really, you know, well-armored, uh, like, fighter or paladin or something who might, you know, might correspondingly have poor reflexes or, uh, might have kind of worse will. It all depends. Like, it, it helps make stats matter more. Like, people talk a lot in 5th edition about dump stats. Like, you have, uh, you have stats that are kind of trash that you don't care about depending on what class you're doing. Like, if you're a wizard, you know, you obviously want a high intelligence, but strength can be thrown completely out the window. Um, if you're like a, again, a barbarian or something, you want high strength, but maybe like wisdom is totally useless to you, uh, or charisma. And this kind of like makes them all matter a little bit more. And like, it's okay if, yeah, there's still like a stat that you judge can be set lowest. Like that's fine. Um, what that means is, you know, you, you are going to be more, more vulnerable to certain types of attacks. Like you, you, you go up against a, a team of mind flayers and like, yeah, that will save, uh, not save that will, will defense is really gonna, is really gonna come in handy. Um, that type of thing. So Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I I think it makes for a much more nuanced combat. Some people think it puts too much emphasis on combat. I think it just makes combat interesting because this is D&D, like no matter how far you stretch it from the original mold of like dungeon crawler, like you you know, it's still kind of that. Like it's not GURPS. You can't you can't really stretch D&D into like everyone's a superhero or everyone's a normal guy, <laughs> normal, everyday person. Uh, there's just some places that you can't really go with it. Like, the, the races and classes kind of push you in that direction. Um, the powers push you in that direction to, like, more of an epic fantasy kind of level. Um, you can have different trappings, different flavors. Like, okay, maybe you want to do, like, a, a campaign set in, you know... Uh, feudal Japan, like, that's possible. You know, you can kind of reflavor some stuff and make that work. Uh, you want to do something that's set during, like, the Age of Exploration in Mesoamerica. Like, yeah, you can do that, too. Um, as long as you're trying to do, like, stories about heroic adventurers, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Like, it all, it all fits. Might need a little reskin, but it all fits. Um, anyway, so, I gotta wrap up here, but another thing 4th edition introduced that's really useful is skill challenges. Uh, skill challenges are just what it sounds like. It's like, what, so what happens when you're, you're playing a game and you have, uh, a character that's like, you know, you're, you're trying to, like, chase a character through a crowded marketplace or, like, do some Prince of Persia, like, jumping over rooftops and that kind of thing. Uh, what happens if you're trying to convince a, a powerful noble to join your cause? Like, how do you, do you just do that with roleplay? Like, how do you make that, how do you sell that? How do you make it convincing? And 
one solution is the skill challenge. Uh, basically, the DM sets a, a DC for the challenge. Uh, everybody can kind of use different skills. Again, this makes skill rolls a little bit more useful. Like, how many times in 5th edition do you, do you have someone say, I roll perception, or like, I roll, you know... You know, like, you, you keep resorting to the same three skills or whatever. Um, I roll history. It's like, do I know this? No? Okay. <laughs> like, it's, it's much easier to utilize DC in an interesting way. Um, and to, to roll. Like, people like rolling, rolling fucking dice. It's D&D. Um... But yeah, I think, you know, combat can be so bland in 5th edition, and 4th really has the tools to, to spice it up, um, add some, some interest and intrigue to it. Um, and, like, yeah, you can go really deep into combat. You can make it more of, like, a, a D&D board game with miniatures if you want. It's a little harder to do theater of the mind with all the effects and, and uh, you know radiuses that become important, but it's really okay, um, and I don't know, I think 4th edition is super fun and dynamic, and I would recommend it to anyone who, uh, likes D&D, likes 5th edition, and maybe, uh, maybe has problems with the way, uh, certain things work in 5th edition, um, you know, there's always time to, to go back and, uh, check out D&D as it was uh, popular at, at a certain time. Like, those books still exist. The rules are still good. There's no expiration date. You're not going to be bothered by the old graphics or whatever. Um, there's nothing that's really dated, nothing that really ages. So, anyway, I'm at my destination. Uh, this has been my drive to work. No. Um, yeah, but that's, that's about all. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the tangents, and if you use this to fall asleep, sweet dreams. See you all next time.